we're in a um, we're in a, a short series called Perennials, and and looking at the things that we would regard as these are things we just visit over and over again. They're, they're what form us. That they're what shape us. And uh, and in some ways, this series is about the priorities we have as a church and as a and as a church movement. You know what we what we love and why. And last week. Uh, Matthew kicked off this series in spectacular style with such a brilliant message on worship. It was just beautiful and inspiring. And the reality is that, that our, our personal priorities, the, the way we kind of order the things that we think, well, that's important, but that's not so important, that's what shapes us. That, that's what makes us the kind of people we are. And in the same way, our church priorities also shape what kind of church we are. And, um, and uh, we are in the series, we're kind of talking about the priorities that are common to uh, churches like, like the Vineyard uh, and like Urban. And, um, and the priorities are by no means unique. You know, most churches would have similar priorities somewhere in, somewhere in the list. But it's, but it's the way that we order them that makes this church the kind of church that it is. Um, the reality, again, is it's th- that the way we order our priorities determines what we're building. You know, pr- pretty much every building has, has uh, roofs and, and windows and a floor and a roof. But it's kind of how you put that together. This is probably really, really hard for Lance to see this. Um, but, but, there's, but it's how you put the building together. Every, everything has the same thing, but it's, but it's how it's shaped, how it's built. And the kind of church that we are, you know, what we experience when we walk through the door and meet people is created by the way that we order our priorities. So, for example, in some churches, the highest priority is, is, a, is the preaching of a salvation message. And, and the high point is when people come forward and, and uh, give their lives to Christ. Um, in other churches, the most important thing is the preaching. So the, so the music or the singing is just almost like it's the warm-up for the preacher to, to teach the scriptures. Um, in other churches, it's the traditional liturgy. You know, every every church has its liturgy, and we we as vineyard churches have our own liturgy too. But but it, but this but again, it's it's everything else is secondary to delivering the the traditional liturgy. Um, in other churches, it's all about the cause or the or social action or something. Um, some churches and devote an entire sermon to the, to the offering, and it's kind of like, what? That, that's fascinating. Um, and, and what it tells me is that, is that money is, is the most important priority in those, in those places. You know, you, you'll notice here that we don't, even, we don't even have an offering. We just kind of believe that after a while, people will kind of go, well, I, I, guess, I guess we should probably contribute to what's happening here. And it's, and it's beautiful how people do that. Um, you know, vineyard churches will almost always have this kind of mix of about a third of the time together on a Sunday will be about will be worship, about a third of the time will be around Bible teaching, about a third of the time will be about about being with each other, talking with each other, praying for each other. It, it, it tends to be that that kind of thing. And, and again, it's interesting that when Paul talked about our lives, he said, "For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ." So we, our, our lives are built on Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, and yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. And so, you know, as Matthew so beautifully taught last week, that that's why we always have sung worship when we celebrate communion. We, we, we kind of figure that worship 
is actually what humans are built for. We, we, are, we are born to worship. As far as I know, you know I'm, I'm happy to be disproved on this, but as far as I know, there's only one place in the Scriptures where, where the Father, speaking to humanity as a whole, says, this is the kind of person I'm looking for. Uh, it's, it's in John 4, 23 and 24, it says, Yet a time is coming, it has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the Father is looking for worshippers. We, we, are, we, are, we are all inherently worshippers. You know, I, I didn't watch the game last night, but, that, but the stands were filled with people who were, who were thrilled with what was happening. You know, and, there was, and, the, and their hearts were lifted because we won um, <laughs> for a change. Uh, but, but, you know, it, but, it's, but all of us are born to worship. You go to a concert, it's, something just lifts in us. There's, there's, something, there's something about humanity that longs to see something bigger than ourselves, to look beyond ourselves. And, and, the, and the issue is always, what are we going to worship? Again, as, as Matthew talked last, last week. So, so these are the, this is what kind of creates the kind of church that we're part of, that our first priority is worship. We just think that's if that's all we did, uh, and, it's, and it's not just music again, as, as we looked at last week. But it's but it's this looking to to get beyond ourselves and to see something much bigger than ourselves. So it's so our first priority is worship. Our second priority, which I'm going to talk about today, is the word or the scriptures. That 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 we're people of the book. That everything we do has to be has to be rooted in the book, and and then we'd say fellowship, which is which is the connection. You know, we can't do this by ourselves. It's it's we together are the body of Christ. It's not it's not me individually. The Bible's written to a people, not to a person. Um, uh, fourthly, it's ministry. We we just think you can't you. You can't be together without wanting to serve one another, and you can't you, you can't be the people of God without wanting to serve the city. That that there's something within us that that, that we kind of we receive, and then we go now let's give it away. And so and, and so the, the our, our fifth priority is, is training, and our sixth priority is sending. That 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 we just think this has to this has to go beyond us. Um, so it says this. This is this is out of one of our documents somewhere. Could even be on the website. Um, but it says this, we want to hear the word of God taught in a practical, inspiring way in conjunction with this current prophetic word. Uh, and then a few scriptures mentioned there, we aim to hear and obey God's word to us as doers of the word who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So I, that's what I want to talk about today. And, you know, in lots of ways, it's going to be very familiar territory because, you know, we're people who love the Bible. We're people who, who, who you know, it's, it's something that we've built our lives around. In Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And, and what it's telling us, it's telling us that, that, that we've received Christ, and we dig our feet into the, in, into the soil of the word, that we're rooted in that, that that becomes the place. That it's the foundation of all that we become after that point in time. Um, my, my grandson Francis, um, on his birthday this year, he, he wanted, wanted us to go to, um, to uh, 
the Pukita Papa um, Matariki Kite Day, and uh, first time I've been there. And, uh, and, and one of the things, you, as you come up the hill, at, um, some of us might know it as Bastion Point, uh, but you come up the hill there and you see these, these huge kites, and you kind of go, wow, that's amazing that all those kites are held. And then you kind of look at uh, this year, this year, unfortunately, I couldn't get a picture of, of the digger, but the, but the kites were rooted on a, on a digger. Uh, and I think a previous year they were rooted to a tractor because they have to be rooted to the ground. The only way a kite will fly, you know, we know this, that as long as you're holding on to the kite, at one point Francis got tired, um, had his kite up right, right at full strength, and then, and then it kind of went, this is boring, <laughs> and let it go. And it disappeared into the crowd, and some other lady found it, caught it, caught it as it flew by and brought it back to him. It was very, very cute. Um, but, but the reality is that, that kites only fly as long as they're connected to the ground, as long as they're rooted through someone's hand, through a digger, through a tractor, whatever it may be. And I, and I guess um, one, of our, one of our questions, I guess, is, is so, so how do we figure out what we're going to do and what we're not going to do? What will be important to us? What won't be important to us? How do we work out those kind of decisions? And, and again, another scripture in, um, sorry, in uh, Acts chapter 17 um, Verses 12, uh, 10 through 12. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And on arriving there, they, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And now the Berean uh, Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they had received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so our question, as we think about this thing of the, what, where's, where's the scripture fit in our lives, our question is always this. It's not, you know, does it work? You know, do, does it produce great results? Is everybody else doing it? Is, is it the most popular thing that people are doing? No, our, our question is always, is it in the book? You know, and, and so there's lots of things that we could do as individuals and there's lots of things that we could do as a church. But our question and our central question, our rooted question is, is it in the book? Is it, was it important to Jesus? Um, if it wasn't important to him, it's probably not going to be that important to us. Um, again, it says in, uh, in 2 Timothy, these, I know these are all really familiar um, scriptures, but it says this, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. And, and the scriptures have this amazing ability to transform us moment by moment. You know, that, that we soak ourselves in this. Our feet are rooted in this, in this truth. Well, you know, and, and we need to learn how to read the Bible because it's a, it's, it's a library of, of different types of literature. So we have to read it, you know, as it is. Um, as, it, as it's written, some parts are, are, are law, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, you know, are, are, the, are the story of God creating a people and, and, um, and giving them purpose and giving them distinction and saying, this is how, this is how I want my people to live. We read the beautiful um, wisdom literature like Psalms and Proverbs and, and, and you, know, you wouldn't take one of those and kind of go, this is how it always is because you'll read the next psalm and it'll, and it'll say something different you know and, and so you read it as you we read it as the literature that it is some of it's prophetic some of it's apocalyptic um some of it's a, a letter some of it's gospel so we so we read it um but but the re but the truth is this that all scripture is inspired by god 
and we need to read it properly. Um, so so our, our question, I think, in this life is, is what, what are we going to center our lives on? We, we get to choose our center. We get to choose who we are and what we're going to become. It's, it's, it's a gift that God gives us. He says, you choose what your center is going to be. You know, and, and some people choose, well, it's, it's going to be my own ideas. You know, a, a really popular phrase at the moment is my truth. You know, this, that's your truth. This is my truth. You know, and, and we can build our lives around this concept. Of, well, it's my truth. You know, and, and I, I'm going to speak my truth to your, to your tradition. Um, it, it could be just what we've subconsciously received from our family of origin and, and the culture we grew up in. And, and sometimes we baptize that and think that's Christianity. But, but it's actually just our culture. It's, it's the family that we've come from. Uh, or, or we can choose to make the book, to make the scriptures our authority. See, that, again, I, I, I've had to revisit a lot of the, the theology, that I, one, that I grew up with, and two, that I was exposed to as a, as a new believer. Um, when, I, when I became a Christian in, in the 70s, you know, a really popular book was Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. You know, and, and, it, and it was telling us that, you know, the book of Revelation is this, is this incredibly secret book that tells us everything that's going to happen. It's, you know, and, and this is who the Antichrist is, and this is what's going to take place. And it, this whole book is given to us. You know, it, it was co completely irrelevant to every other generation, but it's, it's, it's now relevant to this generation. You know, and you, and you had to, I, you know, you, you kind of read it, and then, you know, date after date would pass by. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty faithful person, but it's kind of like, Oh no, I think I think they're getting this wrong. You know, he still hasn't come back, uh, and he's been predicted to come back. You know, and people have published books, and he still hasn't come back. I don't think I think that interpretation is wrong. I don't think that's what the book is about at all. And, and you know that. And then you kind of go back and you read the scripture. And you go, who, well, who was it written to? Well, it, it was it was it was John on the Isle of Patmos, speaking to speaking to the church at that time, giving them comfort. You know that they'd been they'd been oppressed by Nero, then Vespasian, the, the second emperor, and then Domitian was a, was a, was the next one, and he was, he was saying, "This is what you're going through. Hold on." And and even though it was written to them, it still brings comfort to us because it says, you know, what the what the Book of Revelation says, He'll never leave us, even in the worst of times, He'll be there for us. Uh, you know, again, you know, my, the my early discipleship was. You know, basically, that um, the purpose of us of us of life is just stay true to Jesus, so you go to heaven. And you kind of realize that's not. I can't live my life for that. You know what that means is we we, we rape and pillage the earth, and, and we don't take care of it because we're gonna we're, somewhere along the line we're gonna be raptured and leave the suckers with this earth. And eventually, you kind of go. I think that's the wrong story. I think that's the wrong narrative. I I, I think we stay. I, I think I, I think he renews the earth, you know. Uh, <coughs> anyway, so lots. I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, pop theology is usually bad theology, you know. And and we've got to we don't be afraid of reading good theology and listening to good theologians, you know. I I, I have a bunch of theologians that I, that I I love that have helped me helped me kind of make sense of things that just didn't make sense, you know. When you kind of look at the evidence, you go that. You know, no matter how hard I try, that just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, so so for me, I, you know, I watch and I listen to, to theologians like N.T. Wright and Scott McKnight and Michael Bird, and even even in our own movement, we've got people like Derek Morphew and and Matthew Crossman and uh, Luke Geraghty and Doug Erickson and Jeff Holsclaw 
and our very own Johnny Rankin, um, who, who I regularly call up and say, um, what do you think about this? Because um, I don't fully understand this. You know, and, and then again, there's other, there's other theologians that I do listen to and, and, uh, and read, but don't agree with. Um, but I won't tell you their names. But, but it's actually important to, to read, to read a, across the type of theologians that we'd listen to. So again, I think, I think the question is, what are we rooted in? You know, a few weeks ago, I reflected on what, you know, what is it that influences our lives and how much of our normal day is given to soaking in the Scripture compared to what we're washed with, with media and, and um, you know, and, and entertainment and current, current experts' opinions. You know, and it tends to be seconds versus hours. You know, that, we, that so little of our life is actually rooted in the Scriptures. You know, we, we say that we're, we're rooted and, and, you know, and, that, and that we're people who believe the Bible, but, but that stuff just washes us. It, it shapes us. And, and you know, and I, I think sadly that the secular influences have much more influence on the average Christian than perhaps the Scriptures do. That, that we're in danger of becoming more secular than we are becoming more biblical. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying this to shame us, but rather I hope it would create a hunger in us that we go, I, I want to be rooted in the Scriptures. You know, I want to be rooted in something that's, that's held true for millennia rather than something that's just, you know, I, my, my, personal, uh, my personal opinion is this, that I think that most of our count current culture consists of untested experiments with unknown long-term effects. I, I, you know, I, I think so much of what people say, you know, you often hear this, this language of, oh gosh, who would believe that in this day and age? You know, I mean, that's a red flag for me. I'm kind of like, well, uh, well I'm not sure that your un, un, unproved experiment is actually going to be good. You know, I, I don't know if this thing's going to really work that well. I, I, I think there may, be some, there may be some real casualties from this. You know, I, I think we need to be wary of cultural arrogance, that the, that the scriptures are primitive and, and that we've moved on to new heights of knowledge and wisdom. You know, one of, one of the things that we've got to, that we've got to guard against is, is chronological arrogance that just says, well, we're, you know, we're, we live in the 21st century. We've got, we've got all this new uh, knowledge and experience that, that we, and, and, you know, and so the Bible is a very simple book written almost in the Bronze Age. So why would we believe that? But I, I don't know about, I, I don't know about you, but I, I just don't think that I'm going to know better than Jesus. I, I, I think he is at, he's the mark. He's the one that we go, what did he believe? What did he think was important? I, I, I think he's our interpretive key. You know, so one of the great ways to look at scriptures is, is what did Jesus believe about this? What did, what did Jesus believe about God? What did Jesus believe about Adam and Eve? What did Jesus believe about Satan and Hades? You know, what, what did Jesus believe about relationships? And to go back and say, just because it's the 21st century doesn't mean that we, that we disregard what's held true for so many centuries. And so the question, I guess, is so how do we handle scripture well? Because, again... The scriptures are interesting. They, you know, over the over the ages, you know, you can make the scriptures say anything you want, um, and, and and some of the things that are really important for us as as we as we're people and as a church that that are trying to stay rooted and grounded in, in God, uh, you know, and, and and as long as we're rooted in God, we're free to fly, but if we're not rooted in God, it, we're going to end up who knows where, and so you know, one of the first things is this that God God's the God of the both end. You know that that so we, when we read scripture, 
sometimes we'll read it and we'll think it seems contradictory. It seems like he said something different back there to something that he said there. But he's the, he's the yes, both and. Yes, I'm the God who's holy and, and, is, and is calling us to be holy and, and to act holy and to say no to some things and to say yes to other things. And he's the God of, of love who, uh, as Leanne brought that word, we belong to him. You know, again, we read that scripture out of, of, of Paul's writing where it says, you know, even if everything you've built just gets burnt up, he's, he's still going to love you. He's not going to abandon us. And so we live with these tensions. He's, he's both holy and loving. You know, he's, no, anyway, I don't I want to head down that track. But, but, but the truth is that, that he's, he's, he's never just holy and he's never just loving. He's both. And when we read the scriptures, we read it from that perspective, that he's all of those things. Uh, I, another thing that, that I think is really important is, is to watch out for magical thinking. I, I had a brush with hyper-faith beliefs early in my pastoral life. You know, they confess it and, and possess it, they blab it and grab it. You know, so you just say the right scriptures. You know, there's a right scripture for every situation. You just keep confessing that and saying it over and over again. I mean, that's not, that's not being rooted and grounded in Scripture. That's magical thinking. That's thinking that if I say these magical words, it's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't happen because we say the right things. It happens because he's God. It happens because he's, he's arranging things for us. You know, Scripture portions aren't magical incarnations, in, incantations. They, they, we don't use Scripture like that. It's, it's, not, it's not a thing that you kind of wave around and pull a random promise out of the, of the box and go, but the Bible says... No, it's the whole of Scripture. It's, it's the whole of what God does. You know, in, in, in that, um, we, we, had a, we had a family um, in our church way, 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 way back. Um, uh, like I say, when, uh, when we had some people who were into this kind of hyper-faith thing, and, and that, they, they had children who were covered in flea bites. And we're, and we're kind of like, just use flea treatment. You know, put some, kill the fleas. And they're like, no, we're just, we're just confessing Psalm, I can't remember what it was, Psalm 91, that no, no affliction will come near this house. It's like, oh my gosh, just kill the fleas. You know, <laughs> your children have got covered in flea bites. This is ridiculous. Um, anyway, so beware of magical thinking. Um, and again, as I said, you know, we, um, w w the Bible can t tend to be used to justify anything, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many people I've heard use Scripture to justify, you know, that someone leaves their marriage because the Lord is doing a new thing. Um, you know, <laughs> this Scripture in Colossians 3, and, you know, and we're in danger because, we, you know, of, of, of maybe kind of letting this happen a little bit. Um, you know, the, in, in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. You know, if we just stop there, let the peace of Christ. I mean, I have, I have peace about all sorts of things that are just stupid. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I could live on chocolate. <laughs> so I, I, have, I have real peace about that. <laughs> it's just not true. Um, it goes on and it says, you know, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. With gratitude in your heart, you know it's the peace that comes as you're immersed in the Scriptures. It's the peace that comes and says, "Actually, my life is, is constrained. 
it's, it's good for me to do some things. It's good for me not to do some things. It's good for me to say yes to some things. It's good for me to say no to other things. It's good for me to pursue this. It's not good for me to pursue that. It's, it's that. You know, and, and again, it's just not the peaceful feeling because emotions come and go. Um, and again, like I say, you, know, you can make the Bible say anything. The Bible's been used to justify slavery. The Bible's been used to subjugate women. The, the Bible's been used to theologize racism. It's been used to justify resource and climate destruction, to justify genocide, to, to, to create uh, and, uh, you know, toxic husband and wife dynamics. You can, you can take a verse or two out of the scriptures and make it say anything. And, and, and one of the things that's really important for us if we're going to be people of the word is to use the word well, is to understand how do the scriptures work. It's not a magical book. It's, it, does, it's not, it doesn't have these sort of incant, incantations in it. It has truth from beginning to end. Um, one, of the, one of the measures that, that often is used is, is uh, uh, John Wesley's quadrilateral about understanding and discerning what God is saying. And uh, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, um, something from um, Luke Geraghty uh, talking about how could, we, how, could we use, how could we use this picture of discerning. What's, so what should I do? And, and, and truthfully, what, what, we are, what we find ourselves doing is we're, we're bombarded with cultural contexts and, and, and current experts, and they all need to be held up by, to this plumb line that says what's, what's actually true? What's actually helpful? What's actually been proven to, be, to, to produce healthy lives, you know, and to make good decisions? And what it tells us is, it, is, is there's a lot of things that help us make our decisions. There's tradition. You know, what, what have we always done? It's not always the right answer, but, it, but it's interesting that, that tradition is actually a really helpful way to discern truth. Um, reason. God has given us a mind. You, you know, and again, I, I don't know about about you, but I've been embarrassed sometimes with the things that Christians say. I'm like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I want to be a very distant cousin of yours, because <laughs> so what you're saying is nuts. You know? <laughs> um, is, is that a right to say that? I don't know. <clears throat> um, but it's absolutely all right for us to use our minds. He says to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and we're meant to have our minds on. You know, when, when you receive Christ, you don't take your brain out and pop a cabbage in. You, you, you know, we, we, we engage our brain and, and we use it. And reason is a powerful thing. But reason is always, is always subject to Scripture. You know, it, it may seem like it's the right thing to do, you know, it, but, but is it what the Scriptures say? So Scripture is always above these things. And then experience the things that we've seen. Well, that seems to work. But if, it's, but if, it's, but if it contradicts Scripture, ultimately it's going to end in tears. You know, so, uh, you know, we could probably talk more about that at, at another time. But, but all these things have to be held up beside the plumb line of the Scripture. The Scripture sits above all of these things and helps us understand. So how do we decide what we'll pursue as a church and what we won't? And, and our biggest question is always, is it biblical? Is it in the book? If it's not in the book, let's just not do it. Let's, let's not go there. Um, you know, and, and, and we're not looking for proof texts. But what we're looking for is the big themes. You know, the scriptures talk a lot about caring for the poor. Uh, the scriptures talk a lot about, you know, the Romans 10 thing of, you know, how will people hear unless we're sent? How will they, you know, how, how will they understand the gospel unless we preach it? You know, how will people get saved unless, unless we 
take the gospel message out. So there's so there's this there's this clear invitation to be to be people who who bring the gospel to the people that we know and love and work amongst. Um, you know, there's, there's big themes of righteousness and justice in the scriptures. There's big themes of healing. There's big themes of discipleship that leads people to Christ-likeness. You know, and, and so we take a long look at Jesus, who's the interpreter of the scriptures. And so when we say this, that our, number, our second priority is the word, what we're saying is that, 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 that we want to be people of the book, individually and as a church. If it's in the book, we should do it. If it's not in the book, we should probably park it. I mean, let me just give you one, a couple more thoughts, and then I'm honestly done. Um, hermeneutics is, is, the, is the art and the practice of interpreting scripture. And, and these are, this, is, this is by no means the, you know, the full expression of what hermeneutics is. But, but what it tells us is, is a few simple things. It says, it, it says read the scripture in its context. You know, who's it written to? What's it, what's it saying? Is it, is, it, is, it, you know, is it poetic language or, or is it command language? Is it, is it apocalyptic, yet to come, you know, yet, yet to be uncovered? Um, a, second, a second principle is, is the, that the whole of Scripture interprets the part of Scripture. You know, for, for those people who leave their, their marriage because God's doing a new thing, all of Scripture says fidelity. It says, it says be faithful to the person that you're married to. You know, it's, it's, so, so you can't use one scripture to justify a foolish action. Uh, uh, we ask, who was it written to? You know, and, and you know, I, I was thinking as I was driving in here, you know, I, I, I'm sure I've said this a number of times too, but, you know, but people say, you know, the Bible is a love letter from God to me. Well, it's, it's actually not. <laughs> it's, it's actually written to people that lived 2,000 years ago. It's written to people, you know, who, uh, you, you know, it, it's written to a specific person at a specific moment. You know, and, and, and one of the most important things is we read it and we go, who's it written to? When was it written? Does it apply now? Does it apply to me? Or was it, or, or was it applicable only for that time? You know, and, and all of Scripture is inspired and all of it's useful, but we have to discern it. You know, it's, it's, we, if, we, if we take things that, that are not written to us and, and, try and take it as a promise for me, uh, we're going to have our hearts broken. You know, we, we're going to become um, jaded Christians who are kind of like, God doesn't keep his word. You know, I, I, I prayed this prayer and it, it didn't happen. You're going, well, did, did God say that? And was he saying that to you? Was he saying that to me? Do you know what I'm saying? I, you know, I, 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 could, I could be making a whole lot of enemies here. I'm not sure, but <laughs> might as well press on because <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> and then that final question of hermeneutics is, is what kind of writing is this? You know, so in, in other words, you know, the Psalms, the Psalms say things like take the babies and dash, the, dash their heads against the stones. I, I don't think that's a promise. I don't think that applies to me. I, you know, and so you, you, you approach the, the, the poetic language in a profoundly different way. Is, is it inspired? Absolutely. Is it God's word? Absolutely. Does it need to be interpreted? Absolutely. You know? um, everything, everything has to be written. Uh, everything has to be discerned. And we, and we, and we handle, uh, the Bible talks about handling the word of God well. So my encouragement would be this that we should read the scriptures consistently, that we, that we should soak ourselves in it. You know, that, that there's, you know, I, I still don't know if I've ever been blessed by reading Chronicles, you know. <laughs> yeah, hand on heart. It's like, you know, you read First and Second Chronicles and you go, 
didn't I just read this in First and Second Kings? You know, um, you know, this, you know, hand on heart. There's parts of the Bible that are quite, quite hard work. Leviticus often doesn't deliver much, much encouragement to me. It's, it's like, well, let's, thank you, Lord, that, that, you know, that, that, that's not how, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a Gentile who's been grafted into this family, you know, and, and how wonderful that, that I get to live this way. You know, so we, so we read the whole book, and we read the book, you know, sometimes we kind of forget that, that the Bible that Jesus used was the Old Testament, the Tatnika. You know, it, it was the Torah, the first five books, it was, it was the prophetic writings, and it was, the, and it was the, 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 uh, the wisdom literature. All of that was what, was what Jesus read. And when we read the New Testament, we're reading what those apostles rooted and grounded in the Old Testament would, would interpret and say, in this, as a new covenant person, this is how I should therefore live. You know, it's, and, and so, but we read the whole thing. You know, I, I'm, always, I'm, I'm always a bit nervous when people don't honor the Old Testament. Yes, it's quite hard at times to read it. You know, there's bits that are really difficult to understand. And yet it's Jesus' Bible. You know? and, and, we, and we immerse ourselves in both the Old and the New Testament. Um, that we read systematically, you know, read whole portions, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't read, you know, I mean, I, I love getting the verse of the day, you know, that pops up on my phone, and I, I love reading that, but that is not going to be a diet that sustains me, I, I've got to read consistently, I, we need to read whole books, we need to read whole themes, we need to, you know, um, so, so there's, you know, it's important to, it's important to kind of read this whole thing, and then ask things like, what does the Bible say? Whatever the Bible says has to be held above what current experts and current opinions say. That, it's, that there's something that's stood the test of time. And even if it's difficult, and even if it seems like I'm, I'm wrestling to see how this is going to work, I'm wrestling to see how this social experiment is going to turn out well, because the scriptures seem to say this. You know? uh, we ask, is it biblical? Is it what Jesus believed? Is it, is it what Jesus taught? Is, is, it, is it how he would have lived his life? Is it what he was leading us to become? <coughs> all right. What I thought would be really lovely, you know, we will often finish by praying for each other and so on, but, but what I thought would be a lovely thing to do would be if we, if we could sit with somebody, um, you know, and, and if you're a couple, feel free to do it as a couple if, or, you know, ask the person, you know, find another person beside you. But, but to look at the scripture, you know, I mean, we could look at any scriptures, but, but, but just, just for a moment to center ourselves in the scriptures and to look at the scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, and then just ask this question of each other. Who, who, so who is this addressed to? What's God saying here? What's he saying to me? What am I noticing in the scripture? And then, and then just to take some time to pray for each other.